science. Great to uh, be back with you this Monday afternoon uh, to talk about science in the news and science behind the news uh, with my friends Andrew Glester and Miranda Addy. Miranda, it's been ages since we've had you on the show. Yes, it's very it has been a while. Very Thank nice to have back. you back. Yeah, <laughs> very nice to have you back. What have you been doing? We should just say, um, Miranda, you're the uh, sort of southwest officer for the Institute of Physics. Yes. So you go around drumming up interest <laughs> in physics, doing physics-related things. I don't things. need to work at it. No. Everybody's interested in physics, Of course right? they are. Of course they are. <laughs> uh, um, but what, what's... Yeah. I mean, this is a big question. What's been happening to yeah. you since we saw you last? There's, there's been a lot. There's been um, a lot of really exciting things. The Institute... It's had uh, a theme of time last year, um, which coincided with our move into a new building in London uh, near King's Cross. So we had um, uh, an exhibition on time. This year we're looking at big data, so everyone can expect to see some exciting events around that. So when you say time, Mm. just go back for a second. Yeah. that I think time is a very interesting subject. Yeah, I like yes. all those sci-fi. I love sci-fi films about time and yeah, sci-fi although series. Although I hate when the paradoxes and the, the, the plot yeah. holes that frustrates me. One of my favourite films of all time is um, Back to the Future. Mm. I love it. I think it's almost a perfect movie in terms of the way it's put together and the, the kind of story It was disappointing line. that its predictions about the future aren't quite... Uh... No. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm glad... <laughs> I, don't, I seem to remember a big, a big tower... I seem to remember people going around on hoverboards. Yeah. And that, that's what I'm most disappointed But there was, about. there was definitely a big moron with a tower who was in control of things. <laughs> that's true. Maybe the wrong predictions. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, with the time, so is time travel possible, Miranda, Addy? Well, actually, they've just done, haven't they just produced an experiment where it looks like maybe time went in the opposite direction? They oh. somehow managed to measure entropy. Which is a measure of yeah. the, direct, the time. This time is the increasing the disorder in the universe, yeah. entropy, and things. And apparently, just... it was going in the other direction. So, yeah, mm. I mean, so I mean, the universe was tidying up. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe that's where we're at. <laughs> Spring cleaning. You know, so. But yeah, I mean, from all all cultural, scientific, it's it's a fascinating subject, Isn't and hopefully it? our our, our um, uh, engagement uh, around themes will hopefully bring together some really innovative, yeah. interesting engagement in yeah in, with scientists. Well, I cruelly cut you off because you were you were telling us other things that you've been up to. Well, we've for the last few years we've done a collaboration with WOMAD Festival, which takes place in Wiltshire not far away from Bristol Um, and we've got a world of physics there with a tent for talks a tent for workshops and a gazebo where you can drop in so that's been a lot of fun Um, we've had all sorts of link ups with NASA link ups with CERN Mm. um, and some really interesting speakers Um, excellent so yeah it's all been very busy I'm always (laughs) happy happy to drop in on a gazebo it makes my day always fun to find some science in the most unlikely (laughs) unlikely places Andrew, how have you been? I've been okay, thank you. Yes, I, I've um, 
Uh, well, of course, the IOP has a has a, a, a publishing arm, which is called IOP Publishing. They have a wonderful podcast, which is made monthly, called the Physics World Stories <laughs> Podcast. Who produ- do we know who produces Yes, that? it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, funnily enough, see. I've been... I would uh, also what? recommend it. I'm yeah. also on. <laughs> it's an extraordinary coincidence, though, yes, isn't, isn't it? it? Isn't we it? should be talking about well, Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Um, I, but what, what I've been looking at for that this month is not out yet, but so what I've been looking at for this month is Li-Fi, which is this technology mm. where you get your wi- instead of Wi-Fi, your the your internet data will come from the light bulbs. Yes, I believe this, isn't that installed? At yes, the cross? we. I think we have the first working example of it um, in a building in our new office in in London. Um, and in fact, next month it's the International Day of Light on the sixteenth of May. Um, so I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because that just sounds so religious. Like <laughs> the, the Day of Light. The International yes. Day of Light. It's like you've started a cult. <laughs> there we go. Well, it does. It's an interesting. It's an interesting organisation because it brings together all sorts of activities in all sorts of areas, but a lot of scientific things. And for that, we are having a talk in the office by the inventor of Li-Fi in the building in King's Cross, and we're hoping to stream it across the country. So um, check out our new IOP events page. Do you know um, who the inventor uh, is? Is that a fair question? Sorry? Do you know who the inventor is? Um... Sorry. Not off the top of my No, no, don't worry. We'll find it. Um, I've, I've spoken to someone called Harold Haas about it, who's based up in Edinburgh. Who's mm. sort of well, we've got time to check this. Yeah, no, show. it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the other thing I've been doing is um, I've been... I've, you know Maplin sort of disappeared. Slightly. Yes. When it, was, when it was on his way out, I stopped him for a bargain and picked up some um, solar panels the other day. Not the other day, the other month. And I finally found a purpose for them, which is to... Um, <laughs> to um, charge a battery, which I then use to power a pump in my pond. Oh. So I've been, I've cleared my pond. I can now see right to the bottom, and it's Woo. full of newts. It's a wonderful, oh, wow. fantastic wow. thing. Wonderful yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I like good. newts. Um, I, 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 what I like about newts, I mean, they're very fine animals, of course. Hmm. But you turn them upside down, they've got amazing. It's always surprising their colours. Yes, Under, underneath. Yeah, I don't. I don't new... pick them up, but they do sometimes yeah. go upside down. I, my favourite. You're probably thing not them. supposed to pick them no. up, but I'm thinking back to when I was a kid. I, I'm, 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 funny, they've been around for forty million years. They could yeah. survive you picking them up. <laughs> <laughs> the the newts. Well, because I, I can now see down to the bottom. They do this wonderful thing. If anyone's got newts, it's worth watching them in the pond because they they swim down and then when they get towards the bottom, they kind of spread out, almost like they're they're sort of floating. You know slowly down to the mm. bottom they're all like starfish yeah it's such a great thing to watch yeah. it looks like they're having a wonderful time yeah um anyway yeah. i love my newts yeah um do we know who the you are is? indeed right it is harold Hart, oh, okay yeah. cool um so yeah watch out from the rp website and uh down at the dark room in st paul's there'll be some light painting and other <coughs> activities <laughs> oh dear <laughs> the voice the voice is gone temporarily temporarily um so, 
we're, we're going to go to our... Well, Andrew, I need to ask you uh, okay. if there's anything else exciting that you've been doing. But um, probably, probably just the, 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 the sheer hard work of being Andrew. Yes, it's, that's, quite, that's yeah. quite hard. There's yeah. A lot of people miss- are Andrew, to be honest. Yeah. There's, and, and some people are just Andy, which is yeah. similar, but just a little yeah. bit easier. Something you've always resisted. <laughs> uh, no, I, I've been doing some lecturing with my new oh. job. So I did a lecture this morning on wildlife filmmaking. Oh. So that's good. That sounds um, exciting. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm trying to try not to lecture here because yeah. when you get paid to lecture, it's okay. Yeah. If you just do it in a, in, in, in a round and about. In a random way to your friends. It's, it's kind of fancy. It's very annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, let's do some science news. Okay. And uh, the first one, this is definitely one for you, Andrew, <coughs> uh, is the... Um, the uh, Hayabusa, do you say, I say Hayabusa 2, mm. but I don't know if that's right. The Hayabusa 2 uh, Japanese probe has gone off to an asteroid and um, it's gone to, to this object which is known as Ryugu. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an asteroid. <laughs> and um, it's thought to have detonated an explosive charge on the asteroid so it can sort of see more deeply into it. Yes. Yeah. yeah What's, it's, it's, where, where is this asteroid? Do we know? It's, uh, well, it, obviously, it's in space. Um, <laughs> it's good. quite a near-Earth asteroid. It's one of what's known as the Apollo-class asteroids, um, which are named after, I think, 1862 Apollo, which is the name of an asteroid, yeah. not a very early Apollo mission. And um, it's, um, <laughs> it's, um, uh, they're asteroids which may collide with earth one day in the distant future okay um and so this mission wonderful wonderful mission from jaxa the japanese space agency um has sent has traveled to it to do very many things one of the things that it's um doing it's got four rovers on it four landers on it right so four things from it landing on the surface <laughs> yeah of the uh the the asteroid one of the very wonderful things that it's doing is picking up rocks from the asteroid and bringing them back to earth for scientists to study and in order to get the most pristine rocks that they can they have detonated something on the surface of the asteroid in order to get rocks from inside it or material from inside it so that material that hasn't been contaminated by space while it's out there and uh, so that's what this explosion was and uh, they they sent a camera down which i just i just love that they just put cameras on these things. yeah i mean it, it seems crazy to say that because of course they put cameras on it but it yeah. wasn't it wasn't in the early days of space no no uh, um exploration they didn't put cameras on things yeah um but there's some lovely imagery of this of this asteroid ryugu um which uh is i think it means the Palace of the Dragon King, <laughs> which is what nice. a great name. And um, we we ought to be uh, we ought to be giving our probes exotic yeah. names like that. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the name of the asteroid. The yeah. um, the Hayabusa. oh oh sorry, I thought was, this was Ryugu. Yes, Ryugu is the asteroid. Oh, of course it is. Yes, yes. Hayabusa two. Yes, and I'd already said that, which shows yeah. that I am losing my <laughs> memory pretty rapidly. Not really. Yeah, um, but Hayabusa two is the spacecraft, and that means uh, Falcon, I think. Right. Which is pretty cool. Anyway, yeah. um, it's the the camera has um, imaged the projectile material coming off the surface of the asteroid um, after the uh, detonation of the inverted commas bomb on the surface of it, and then yeah. in a couple of 
days, weeks, they're going to go back down. <clears throat> um, Hayabusa 2 itself is going to go down and collect the ideally pristine material to bring back to Earth. We, we did a piece on this, didn't we, a little while ago, uh, where you, you interviewed somebody about mining asteroids. Yes. And uh, this does raise... The question, I mean, actually, although this is exploratory, you can, you can begin to see this is kind of like very early stage mining, isn't it? Yes, it is. And um, it'd be very interesting. I mean, the, you know, it'd be interesting to see if in 50 years' time we are actually bringing essential minerals mm. and things like that from, from asteroids. Mm. Yeah. That would be, uh, be quite an extraordinary uh, change in, in the economics of humanity Absolutely. wouldn't it or indeed using the materials that we mine from asteroids in space yeah because one of the things i wrote an article for um iop publishing physics world yeah um about um asteroid mining and one of the th- the thing ooh, one of the things that they're hoping to do um these asteroid uh, mining companies who believe that in their lifetimes they're going to be yeah. making trillions of dollars, trillions of pounds in yeah. space doing asteroid mining. Yeah. And that, these are incredibly wealthy people yeah. who think that in their lifetimes they're going to make that kind of money. You don't think you get to be incredibly wealthy unless you're you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you accident. don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So the, the, there must be something in it. It's kind of, kind of yeah. how I feel about it. Even though it seems so science fiction, what I'm going to say, it seems like such a science fiction idea. But the, what they're talking about is... Uh, mining these asteroids and getting water from these asteroids and that water then being separated into hydrogen and oxygen therefore becoming rocket fuel and effectively becoming um, petrol stations or fuel stations in space for the rockets and the spacecraft of the future that's what these asteroid mining people are hoping is going to happen yeah isn't that crazy it is crazy And, and, and extraordinary and opens up a whole new set of, of possibilities. You're listening to uh, Love and Science on BCFM Radio uh, 93.2 FM. And if you want to uh, listen to any of the fabulous programmes uh, on BCFM, uh, including this one, uh, then you can go to bcfmradio.com. And uh, not only can you listen to us live off of there, of course, uh, but uh, you can uh, go to the back catalogue of this program and any other uh, programs on bcfm that you want to listen to just go to shows and uh, you'll find them all listed there um we are talking about science in the news and behind the news and uh, there's just um, I, I actually saw uh, flashed up a, a, a news flash uh, from one of the science uh, news feeds and i haven't had a chance to uh, chase this up while we've been on air it says the bering sea is melted which apparently is uh, this isn't good. This is part of the Arctic Sea uh, between Alaska and uh, Russia, and uh, apparently it's melted. So we're going to have to chase that up. But this is a related uh, story. Sto- well, it's a, a story which fits the theme. It's actually completely unrelated in the sense that uh, this is in the Antarctic, and it's the uh, British Antarctic Survey. Uh, they have. Um, a station, a research station, uh, built on um, uh, a um, well, built on a huge, great slab of ice, and um, uh, apparently, uh, it's called it's called the Halley Iceberg, and uh, it's um, a huge iceberg is breaking off near the uh, Halley Research Base. 
And what they're saying is, which is in a way very encouraging, because you think, oh, no, this is another piece of really bad news. Actually, this has nothing to do with climate change for once. This is a, a natural, uh, pro well, uh, uh, say a natural process uh, which, which happens. Um, do you guys know what they call it when new icebergs are formed and pushed out into the sea? Um, it's Titanically a, disappointing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's called carving, isn't that oh, nice? Carving. They call it carving, oh. and of course, this is actually a, 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 a natural process. But this, um, there's this huge crack appeared, which is moving, you know, a kilometre or so every year, and they've been watching it uh, since uh, for, for for quite a while. And um, they've moved the Antarctic station, which is sitting, actually. Can you imagine this, on a floating platform of ice? I don't think I'd feel that secure, but then it is um, uh, hundreds of kilometres across. Uh, and they moved it in 2017 to get it away from this huge chasm uh, that, is, that has opened up. And um, it's called the Brunt Ice Shelf, and it's just going to pitch itself uh, pretty soon. Uh, into the Weddell Sea. And uh, because it's already floating on the Weddell Sea, uh, it's, it's kind of uh, a chunk of ice connected to other ice flows on Antarctica. But because it's already sitting in the sea, it's not going to add okay. to uh, sea rise. So that's good. That but is it good. is enormous. Yeah. It's 150 to 250 metres thick. Um, and um, uh, just enormous. I'm just trying it's to... It's going to be about the size of Greater London. That's it, apparently. the size of Greater London. I can't see what that is in uh, square metres, but that says it better. Big, yeah. Yeah, the size of, <laughs> the size of Greater London. Yeah. Just floating into the sea. You, you, can kind of, you can kind of hear the climate deniers reaching for their phones <laughs> to, to tweet all See? sorts of nonsense. Yes, um, but then we do report all stories. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it just on that. The, I, have you been watching One Planet on Netflix? Our Planet, rather, on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet. Oh. It's on the list. No, I've oh, not seen it. I, well, I've only seen the, the first um, episode, and there's some amazing footage of icebergs collapsing. Mm. I mean, just. Literally awesome, yeah. in the true sense of the word. I was just looking up the Bering Sea um, that you were talking about earlier, Malcolm. Uh, it should be frozen right now. It's normally frozen until May, completely frozen over until May. And it's currently, the beginning of April, uh, almost entirely free of ice. Wow. Yeah. So that's going to completely change the ecology of the, yeah. of the area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, climate change deniers. <laughs> it's still happening. Well, yes, indeed. And it's great that we just understand the mechanisms. They, it is. You yeah. know, they they have been expecting it was it was payoff for, for moving the station from where it is. They have expecting it to be um, for it to to break off at some by mapping the stresses yeah. on the ice shelf. Ernest Shackleton looked at it in 1915, um, and the, the cliff edge is well beyond what he saw. So, yeah, I mean, it's great that we understand those processes and then we can um, more definitively say when, when things are connected to, mm. to climate change and, and when there are other yeah. processes involved. Yeah. I, I actually think it's very important for us to be completely... Well, I mean, I wouldn't suggest ever suggest otherwise, but I think it's very important that we uh, talk about all 
all these things mm. uh, so that people can't say, see, you pick and choose mm. your, your mm. facts mm. Mm. Um, because climate change, as we know, is an extraordinarily serious crisis. It's an, what they call an existential crisis. In other words, it, it actually has something to do with our existence uh, and we should be taking it uh, incredibly uh, seriously. Mm. But other things happen too, which aren't related uh, to climate change. Anyway, complete change of subject now. Um, the Bristol uh, Robotics Lab is a, a joint, uh, it's a, it's a world-leading uh, enterprise, this, and it's a joint project between the University of West of England here in Bristol and Bristol uh, University. And um, uh, they have an assisted living project uh, up there, the the, um, the the main base for it is at uh, University of West of England, and uh, Karen Collins, who's um, uh, a student involved uh, with the uh, Masters in Science Communication at, at the University of West of England, that, that both Andrew and I uh, know, uh, she went up there to find out about. Um, their uh, project around uh, assisted living and this is uh, her report inside the building it's very open across the ceiling you can see lots of pipes and all of the ventilation system for the building it's almost like a huge warehouse and then as we're coming up towards the door now we can see the cafe lots of groups of people sitting in there working together chatting to each other and talking science We're heading uh, down a corridor at the moment, um, past TV screens, which summarise all the different experiments which are going on. And as I look into the different pods, we've got lots of people talking animatedly about what they're doing. And we've got uh, people sitting at laptops and computers carrying out particular bits and pieces of science. And we're just heading now towards an area called the Personalised Assisted Living Studio. Waiting to greet me inside the room is Pepper. Welcome to the Assisted Living Studio. I'm Praminda Caleb Solly, and I'm Professor for Assisted Robotics and Intelligent Health Technologies here in the Bristol Robotics Lab. I asked Professor Caleb Solly how Pepper interacts with the studio. Pepper is linked to the sensors in this home, so this studio is instrumented with smart home sensors. So these are wireless sensors which are sitting discreetly in different positions in the house. As you will see this round ball here is PIR, passive infrared sensor, so it can look at movement in front of it. The same type of sensor you have above maybe your garage, which makes the garage light come on when somebody goes past it. So this looks like a very large tennis ball which yep. is sitting on the surface yep. and it's giving out an infrared signal so it can detect movement within yes, the Yes, it can. And it also can detect light levels in the room as well as temperature and its battery level. So this gives us information about where somebody is in the home, how active they are, so how much they're moving around and then that information can be used to understand whether they need more support or for platform like Pepper, which we're designing to function as your personal assistant or your personal trainer to prompt you and say, ah, oh, Perminda, you haven't moved from that sofa in a while. <laughs> How about getting up and going out for a walk? The weather's lovely. Um, and sometimes we'll need that kind of motivation. Many people are concerned about the impact of artificial intelligence and robotics on job prospects. What impact would robots such as Pepper have on the jobs in the care system? 
we're not replacing carers. What we're trying to do is provide more support in the home. People still want to, to a certain extent, if they're able to, live independently. What they need are just these little reminders and prompts. So, for instance, if I open this drawer where I keep the coffee... Are you going to make yourself a cup of tea? Yes, I am. Remember to make sure there is water in the kettle before you boil it. <laughs> if Peppa is constantly monitoring us as we move around the studio, then large amounts of data are being collected and stored. What implications does this have? If the system, the AI, is to be transparent and somebody needs to be able to see why Pepper did what it did, people need to be able to access all of that. So you could put it into an anonymized format and then set up access privileges, etc., but it makes it all very complicated. It's active research to understand what's the best way to approach this. Speaking to Pepper is an interesting experience. It's been programmed with human mannerisms, moving its arms and hands and maintaining eye contact whilst talking to you. By 2068, there's likely to be an additional 8.6 million people aged 65 and over. I can see how Pepper's personalised assistance would increase independence, enabling people to stay in their own homes for longer. It would also benefit the estimated 1.9 million older people who often feel invisible or ignored. Uh, you're listening to BCFM 93.2 FM, and we're talking about science in the news and uh, behind the news. So the next story we've uh, got up is a, well, it's a dinosaur. It's all about uh, an ancient four-legged well, I don't know if it is a dinosaur, actually. It looks like a dinosaur to me. An ancient four-legged whale fossil has been found, uh, 43 million years old. Yeah. And it's got four legs, webbed feet and hooves, and it's been discovered in Peru. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 43 million... Years old, so the dinosaurs were 66 million years ago. Right, so, so it's younger than that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, a whale, just to say it again, because it's just crazy, <laughs> a whale with four legs, webbed feet and hooves. They did start off on the land, though. Yes. Maybe it's crazy that, you know, if we, if we could speak to, if people were living that long ago, and then mm. they'd be like... A whale in the sea? <laughs> yes. What has happened? Yeah. How has that happened? <laughs> but, so they, they start, presumably they started off in the sea, went onto land and then... No, I think oh. they started off on the land and then went into the sea. But life started in the sea originally. Yeah, OK, I see what you mean. Yeah, OK, yeah. Because I kind of think the, of the, all... And the, what we would call the, the, the yeah. whale ancestors, yeah, yeah, started on the land, yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it's sort of... What did they do on the land? Do you know? Well, yeah, no. Well, I mean, they had, they, I think they had hooves and, and obviously four legs and yeah. everything like that. And obviously they are mammals, so they were, but they then could have done they clog, adapted. Clog dancing, yeah. for example. Yeah. <laughs> that would have sounded good. Oh, I'm a little whale's clog dancing. But yeah, they started off small, started off being proper land dwelling mammals and then adapted to the sea. So obviously that's why. Yeah, this one, still have this one clearly didn't adapt that well. <laughs> <laughs> this is the halfway in between that's yeah. always fascinating to see in evolution. Models, it's uh, found it? just off the coast, so it didn't get very far. <laughs> Sorry, I think it, I think they were saying that it um, that it originally started in uh, South Asia um, on the land, and then as it grew more adapted to the sea, kind of moved towards Africa and North America. So the fact that this has been found in Peru oh. seems that they managed to. I think they, the, the idea is it came around, it came across South America. So, yeah. It nice. got far on its uh, <laughs> yeah. four legs. Um, 
I, I'm going to speak to Dr. Olivier Lambert, Lambert, Lambert probably, Lambert, maybe, okay. um, who is a scientist from Royal Belgium Institute of Natural Sciences and co-author of the study. I'm going to speak to him in a couple of weeks and bring that interview to the show. Oh, that um, will so be... We'll find out more about it then. Um, that will be good. Yeah, he says it's the most complete specimen ever found of a four-legged whale. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not something you hear every day, no. is it? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yes, you're, you're, you're right. This, the, the, the sort of general idea about evolution is that um, uh, it probably had to happen in, in water, mm. uh, that life, life developed in water and then climbed out and walked around. Mm. Uh, and sometimes went, oh, I've had enough of this, yeah, I'm getting back enough, in. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the water is so nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why did we leave? Yeah, <laughs> whatever, wherever did we leave? Eva, it's so interesting, isn't it? I saw a thing, um, uh, 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 it was one of those YouTube things of a sloth walking across a road. Now, I imagine it's rather sad because it, it must have been distressed in some way. But, of course, they can't, they don't walk because their well, talons yeah. or claws yeah. or whatever yeah. curl in underneath yeah. them. So they find it incredible. They look like somebody who's been badly injured mm. crawling across the road. But, but their natural habitat is a tree. Mm. And this is so so strange to us to see all these creatures perfectly adapted mm. for their uh, environments. Once they're out of their environments, mm. it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. uh, it just looks so odd. Yeah. A, there's a lovely quote in this article, by the way, from Travis Park, which isn't somewhere in New York. He's a, um, he's a researcher at the Natural History Museum in London. And he says, whales are an iconic example of evolution. They went from small hoofed mammals to the blue whales we have today. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just insane. It is. Isn't it? it is. And and horses started off as being forty centimeters high, and now look at them today. It's it's really fascinating to see how how we get the creatures that that we That's see. That's just because they were babies, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that is in paleontology. That's a problem that you yeah. know with with dinosaurs and everything. That for sometimes they can't distinguish between the the young and the adult, and so for a while they think it's a different species, and then mm. at some point they're like, oh no, this is yes. actually just the young of of mm. something else. I saw someone the other day on a game show on television admitting, I mean, quite courageously, that until relatively recently, they thought that lambs and sheep were a different species. Mm. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so you think, yes. Uh, even even with everything we know now, some people are confused. All right, so so this is the story of the fossil of a 43-million-year-old whale with four legs, webbed feet and hooves, has been discovered in Peru, and paleontologists believe that the marine mammal's four-metre-long, that's 13 feet, 13-foot body, was adapted to swim and uh, walk on land. So we've got uh, uh, another another story here, which is uh, all about zebrafish. And zebra, zebrafish, the thing you do not, if you believe in reincarnation, you do not want to come back as a zebrafish. <laughs> 
because every uh, biologist wants to use you in some form of study, <laughs> either zebrafish or a fruit fly. Uh, and um, uh, this this is a story uh, from Washington uh, Washington D.C. I think, uh, which is all, it is the research is all about whether human beings could regrow limbs. Wouldn't that be amazing? You sort of think people who've had serious accidents or something like that and lost lost a limb. And um, one of the weird things about zebrafish um, is that they can regrow, for example, regrow tail fins and other organs. Um, like geckos, for example. Geckos will also, when they're scared, geckos, little lizards, their tails drop off to help them uh, get away from their prey or perhaps they'll be caught by the tail. They just let the tail go and uh, race off. And um, uh, apparently... Uh, so and zebrafish are similarly. Uh, apparently, scientists are looking at this to see whether or not uh, it would be possible to uh, uh, tweak our DNA and our uh, biological processes to see whether or not we could regrow limbs and things. Oh. Why not? It's worth worth looking at. It's worth a go, isn't it? Yeah. Apparently, zebrafish, zebrafish are members of the minnow family. They live in freshwater. They're no bigger than two inches in length. Uh, and they have changed the way how scientists understand treatments for cancer, cancer, spinal cord injuries, and potentially the regeneration of limbs in humans. Mm. Yeah, it's such a big area now, re- regenerative and tissue engineering yeah. and that kind of thing. But also it's a huge area kind of looking back at the natural world and saying, oh, have we missed a trick or two here? There's a lot mm. of that science going on, and it's yeah, it's really interesting how we can understand ourselves by looking at these other animals. It's one of those, I, I, I wish I could live for 200 years just to see where, how, where uh, it's going to take uh, us. Yeah, <laughs> how, how, how all this will develop. Uh, apparently NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL as it's, uh, as it's known, has released a new video of Mars helicopter test flights. How fabulous is that? <laughs> so we're going we're to send some uh, a, a helicopter or helicopters uh, to Mars at some point and fly about because Mars has an atmosphere. We, uh, the, the, the main body that we've walked about on is the moon, and, of course, it doesn't have an atmosphere. Helicopters wouldn't work on, on, uh, on the moon, um, but uh, they would on Mars. It's an extraordinary story. Have you seen this, Miranda? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, if only you could say you piloted the, the helicopter oh, on Mars, yeah, that would be yeah. even better. Yeah. But obviously it's several light minutes away, so communication takes a while. So yeah. it'll obviously be an automated thing um, with just a few yeah, controls so gonna, being relayed. I was going to say, so we're, we're, not, we're not expecting that they're going to... Um, a drone fly Send a person. Or, or uh, send a person, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's quite small, isn't it, this helicopter? Yeah. It's about so. sort of the size of your torso, I would imagine. If you're trying to picture how big this yeah. this helicopter yeah. is, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, very very cool. And, yeah, uh, but it has it doesn't have such a thick atmosphere, so it has to do uh, the the experiments they've been doing are in a vacuum chamber. They've recreated the gravity and the atmosphere of Mars at JPL in order to test this this helicopter. Yeah, and so it would work on Mars. 
Yeah. I mean, why, what, how, how does this work, Miranda? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because, because if, if you've got a thinner atmosphere, mm. I mean, do the blades air to move around? Do, do the yeah. blades have to spin There's faster to move around? Yeah, I would presume so. I to guess they those would forces. to create the force. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's really interesting to see to see like the we get you know just like the is it a blue dress is it a gold dress we're very used to seeing with shadow we're also very used to operating with gravity at our strength air resistance so it's really interesting to see all of the things all of those spacecrafts that you hear about that somehow accelerate to these huge speeds and get really far and you know um away from from our planet basically because you know there is no air resistance in space so any acceleration a, a craft will just keep accelerating keep going um and reach some really good speeds so yeah it's all really interesting to see how you can make these things work and, and the things you're going to have to think about in yeah. places that are completely different and very yeah less hospitable than here yeah. <laughs> marvelous stuff uh, and well talking about marvelous things we're joined uh, by john ford uh, in the in the studio you, of course you have had a life as an engineer haven't you? i have and i've flown a helicopter Whoa! Oh, oh, that is yeah. impressive. Not on Mars. Not, I did not. Not on Mars. No. No. <laughs> not yet. Around Bristol Airport, but it was, it was close. We went, we went closer to Mars than we are now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect you to say it. Not as I. Not as I wouldn't have thought that you could you fly a helicopter. What? Do you know what? It was the easiest thing in the world to control. Really? It's like getting in a, a Dodgem, you know, at the fair yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. easy. Um, there's uh, just uh, four controls. There's two foot pedals. Um, there's an eclectic, which makes you go up and down. And there's a joystick which makes you go backwards and forwards, wow. and, and that, that's it. I mean, it's just and if you've got a bit of dexterity and uh, control between your feet and your hands, it's so easy to fly. And it was um, a dual-controlled helicopter, I might add, a bit like a yeah. dual-controlled <laughs> car when yeah. you're learning to drive. Just in case. Yeah. And um, it was quite a while ago. It was getting on for 20 years ago, but it was my yeah. 40th birthday. Yeah. Uh. And uh, I, I got up in the morning. My wife said uh, happy birthday and gave me an envelope, and I went, oh, <laughs> it was a fiver, you know. And I opened it up and opened uh, <laughs> <laughs> it up, and there was a a, a little voucher for a helicopter flying lesson that day cool. on oh, my birthday. On my wow. so off we went to Bristol Airport. What was the weather like? It, it was gorgeous. Oh, yes. the, you know, the weather. It was fifteenth yeah. of September. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, we, we went up to Bristol Airport. It was a beautiful still day. It was sunny. Uh, a little bit of wispy cloud. So, and it was great. And the guy teaching me was was fantastic. It was. It, I thoroughly recommend it. I mean. I've always, because I'd said I always wanted to fly a helicopter, and it's a great machine, and um, she bought me this this taster. Had, had you done anything before? Like, had you flown a plane? Or, you know, because oh, you well, have flying lessons for I, sort of regular <laughs> aircraft. No, I'd, I'd been in a little Cessna, yeah. um, but I jumped out of that because I had a parachute flight. Uh, <laughs> right. a parachute jump. So, okay. um, but no, no, I'd been in a helicopter before. Yeah. Um, but as we, a passenger? Uh, uh, yeah, that was an accident as well. Someone said, do you want to come? So I went, of course I do. Yeah, it was Noel Edmonds, and so oh, off, off yeah. we off we went. I would not name. It was years ago working yeah, yeah. commercial radio, and it was a prize, and one of the prize winners hadn't turned up. So I went yeah. instead. Anyway, that's by the by, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's it's a really good. Well, thing. NASA are looking for the first uh, person to fly a helicopter on Mars. You, I'm going to put your name. Yeah, and it. Andrew and I right now yeah. are looking at NASA because oh. uh, there you go, and uh, there you go. there's NASA on my phone. Uh-huh. Um, it was something that came up on my Twitter feed. I clicked on it and. Um, they're doing a spacewalk at the moment. They go. It's the, uh, they've flipped to the space station. There. You can, you can That's watch, live from the space watching station. Watching live. Right so you can go onto NASA, NASA's website. Yeah, or you can yeah. watch it on YouTube. Yeah, all search for the this is a link on Twitter, actually, because yeah. so, uh, I follow them on Twitter. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, def- we left that out of the 
show. Was there anything else we left out of the show? Um, yeah, on, on this day, um, back in history, you'll know that the, the fire escape was invented today. The, the first patent was taken out by a London watchmaker. It was mm. a wicker basket and a pulley on a chain. It's the first thing I thought of this morning. It was. Thought, oh, yes, it's, it's and actually, the anniversary that was in 1766 today. And in 1879, by pure coincidence, the fire escape ladder was invented in, <laughs> in America by J.R. Winters. But the most important thing, this day... <laughs> I, like the, I like the idea of the fire escape without the fire escape ladder. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, oh, yeah, we better add a ladder. But, to it, but most yeah. importantly, and, and maybe Andrew can tell us more in, oh. in about 30 seconds, it remains. This day in 1947, the largest sunspot group recorded was observed on the sun's southern hemisphere. Uh, it was estimated to be 17 billion square miles. Whoa. Um, what's the sunspot? Uh, Miranda? <laughs> Anyone know? Um, it, is, it is just... Oh, a lot of energy being created. Basically. Well, they're areas of somewhat cooler surfaces than the surrounding solar gases. Yeah. I'm reading that, obviously. <laughs> that, that's what it is. But, uh, yeah, a bit cooler. Injected. So it appears as a darker spot on the sun. That's mm. But, yeah, um, cool. this day in uh, 1947. Oh, Whoa. We've got, we've got a probe looking at the sun right now. Not us, no. but... Uh, and the Met Office, they, uh, yeah. they, there's somebody who monitors what's going on with the sun all the time. Well, I'm, so I'm sure they could do, knock yeah. out, yeah, solar yeah. winds it's could knock out It's getting closer, isn't it? closer to us all the time? Uh, I don't think the sun's getting We're getting closer, closer to, to it? No. Was it expanding or no, something? Uh, no. No. I don't think any of those things are happening. No. no. Hopefully not. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. But uh, the moon's getting further away. The, yeah, very slightly. At the same rate that your fingernails grow. Oh, oh right. Well, there you go. Oh, okay. So, fine. So nothing Cosmic to really worry about. Listen, guys, I've got to say a big thank you for listening uh, from uh, Andrew and from Miranda and me. Stay tuned for John Ford getting Bristol home uh, after the news, and don't forget to join us uh, again next week. Have yourselves a very good evening. 